0: In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Would it be okay if everybody comes a little bit to the front, because that's why, that's why there's chairs here in the front, so we can sit in the front. Thank you. Thank you. Can we open to uh, Matthew 25, starting in verse 14? Matthew 25. so christ when he was uh explaining things to the people right he used a lot of parables okay and there were certain parables that he referred to as the parables of the kingdom or the parables of the kingdom what is the parable of the kingdom Parable of the kingdom. No, this is a this is a type of parable. This isn't a specific parable I'm talking about. The parable parables of the kingdom are, are parables that start how? For the kingdom of heaven is like, right? And so why is it that Christ spoke this way with parables? Is because he wanted us to what? To understand something about the kingdom of heaven, right? Because we don't have an understanding of the kingdom of heaven. Like we don't we we can't understand heaven, right? Because we're human. We're 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 physical and we haven't you know we are we have not yet received our glorified bodies to where we go to heaven and everything is kind of like we understand, right? Like when St. Paul said that then we will, what? we will see clearly, but now we see dimly. Like right now we don't understand, right? There's so many things. And you see even in the life of the apostles, there's so many things they didn't understand. So many things that Christ said to them they didn't understand, right? But in heaven, we will have much better understanding. So here Christ is trying to explain to us something that's beyond our understanding. Think about it like this, okay? That you have to try to explain to like a three-year-old about the stock market, okay? Like it's, it's, it's something that, that maybe, well, maybe we don't understand the stock market either, but let's assume we understand the stock market, okay? And when you try to explain something that complex to someone who has very little understanding, the words don't have any meaning. That there's, no, there's no way to describe, there's no language that can be used to describe to someone who is like a three-year-old about the stock market. And Christ, he's trying to explain to us something that is even beyond the physical world, right? To us who are made of dust, who are flesh. So he uses these parables, parables of the kingdom. These parables are not 100% perfect in the sense that they don't exactly tell us what heaven is like, obviously, because we can't understand truly 100% what heaven is like when we're still on earth. But there are certain lessons and important points that we learn from these parables to kind of give us a glimpse of certain aspects of heaven or certain aspects of salvation or certain aspects of the way that God treats us, the way that God judges us, the way that God looks to us, right? Something spiritual, something that's invisible to the eye, right? That God is showing us, revealing to us. So we're going to read today one of these parables of the kingdom. This is the parable of the talents. And maybe many of us are already familiar with it, but we're going to read it. I'm going to talk about it in kind of some depth to try to understand exactly what is God saying in this parable. How is it we can understand it? What does it mean for us? How is it that we should live as a result of this parable? Because why this parable is not just a story. It's not just a story that God is saying for entertainment. It's not just so that we can listen and understand and be entertained. No, this is a call to action, right? God is telling us live this way. Right? To attain the kingdom. Okay? So, we're going to start out. First, let's read the whole thing. So, it's from verse 14 to verse 30. We're going to read the whole thing once, and then we're going to go through it verse by verse and try to dig deeper into it. Does someone with a loud voice want to read it for us? Or I don't know if you have a microphone.
1: For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servant and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who, had, he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to, them, well, said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you, de- you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you had to be a hard I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his lord answered and said to him you wicked and lazy servant you knew that i reap where i have not sown and gather where i have not scattered seed so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming i would have received back my own own with interests so take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents for to everyone who has more will be given and he and he will have abundance but from him who does not have even what he has Even what he has will be taken away. In casting an unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
0: Thank you. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Verse 14, okay? It says what? For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Okay, so who is the man? Right? Who is the man? In, In the parable, who does the man represent? god okay the man represents god so why is he traveling after what okay okay so after he rose from the dead so 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 god you can look at it that way you can also look look at it in a more general sense that we have a certain period of time here on earth right and that god has entrusted us with things Right? God has entrusted us with things. What are some of the things that God has entrusted us with? Talents. Great. Like what? Service. Okay, God has given us service to do. What else? Time. Right? How are we going to use our time? What else? Money. Relationships with people. Right? In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, this is what St. Paul says. He says, And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Okay? And this actually is exactly what this parable is about saying, everything, everything you've ever seen, everything your senses have ever experienced is a gift from God. Our, our, our very being, our, the fact that God created us from nothing, this is a gift from God. The fact that we can perceive, the fact that we have a mind, right? The fact that we are made in God's image is a gift from God. Every single thing we have, we received it from God. This is why it says, the man... What? He called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. His goods. So everything here belongs to him, right? And so also in our life, everything belongs to him. We belong to him. The church belongs to him. The world belongs to him. Everything belongs to him because he made it. And then he delivered it to us. We forget this, right? Just as here St. Paul is speaking about those people, he's saying, why did you boast as if you had not received it? Why are we boasting? of the things that we have as though we did not receive, as though we have it on our own, as though we invented it, that we created it, that we possess it, we own it, right? We speak about being owners and having ownership, but that's really not accurate. We really don't have ownership, right? Because we have stewardship for a time, and then the stewardship period will end, okay? So the kingdom of heaven, right? Remember, this is a parable of the kingdom, So he's saying this is what heaven is like. This is how salvation is like. When you are here in this period on earth that God delivers us some stuff, right? Delivers us everything that we have. This is a period of stewardship. This is a period of testing. This is a period of are we going to use the things that God has given us according to his purposes, according to his will, according to how he wants us to use them? Or are we going to use them according to how we want to use them? Okay, that's an important question. Verse 15, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Okay, so he's giving these talents. What is a talent? Hmm? In the context of the parable, it's money, right? How much was it? One talent was 60 minas, and one mina was 60 shekels. And now you know exactly. That's how much it was. Okay? Actually, it was only much later on in the 13th century that this same word for talent started to be used in the more normal sense that we are used to using the word talent, as in like our skills, our abilities, and so on. It only started to be used later on, right? This word, talent, at the time was a form of money. Okay? And so this steward, or sorry, this master, took of his own money and he delivered the money to these three servants. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, and to one he gave one. Okay, so why is he giving them different amounts, and wouldn't we consider that to be unfair? According to his ability. So that implies something very important, right? What does it imply? They have a limit to what they can do, yes. But it says something about what is God's intention of giving the talent. Is what? Each person has their own thing to do. Like the reason I'm giving you a certain amount compared to John a certain amount is because I want, I want to produce, right? And so I'm expecting you to use your skills to produce. Right? I'm not giving you five and I'm giving you two because I love you more than I love you. Right? It has nothing to do with that. It has, it has nothing to do with the value of the person. It has to do with God has created different people with different skills, different capabilities, right? It says what? According to his own ability. And to each one whom God sees has a certain ability, he gives according to this. Okay? In First Peter chapter 4, It says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he's saying what? Everybody has different abilities right? Everyone has given us different things. We know also when St. Saint Saint Paul was speaking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he was speaking about the gifts of the Spirit, he says what? There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So this tells us immediately something, that in our lives, when we look at what is it that God has given me, whether it be physical things, whether it be uh, my mind, my abilities, my talents, you know, my opportunities, whatever the case is, that when God gives me this, compare myself to, say, another person who, who has less, Okay, what should that tell me about myself? God's expecting more. God's expecting more. Because the whole purpose of giving me more was so that I would produce more. He didn't give me more because He wants me to enjoy more. He didn't give me more because He loves me more. He didn't give me more for any reason other than He also gave me the ability to work with it. He gave me the talent to work with it. Right? This is why God gives us different amounts. Each one according to the ability. Okay? Any comments about this point before we go on? What does it also mean? when we compare ourselves with those who have more than us that's a good point right because you know we are the church of of the fathers right and the, and and we read like the desert fathers and when you read the desert fathers we see like these people who have given up everything in their life and they eat once a week and they they don't drink water and they levitate and they you know they, they're, like, doing all this stuff that we couldn't even imagine, right? And then maybe sometimes, maybe subconsciously, without even realizing it, when we read these things, we begin to feel, like, pretty bad about ourselves. Like, I've never levitated. And, and I, I have to eat every day, like, multiple times a day, you know? Or, uh, you know, like, like the, the, the self-sacrifice. Like, when you read about, like, uh, St. Ephraim, who was falsely accused of of having a child with a woman okay and that he decided that he wasn't even going to defend himself right and he just stayed quiet when everyone accused him of this this big scandal he didn't even defend himself until finally he was convinced to defend himself and the only thing he did is he lifted up the child up over his head and the baby started to talk and essentially told everyone that he wasn't the father you know that's never happened to me nothing close to that okay so sometimes because we elevate and venerate the ones with the with the greatest gifts and the greatest talents we somehow believe that unless i can do like they do then there's something wrong with me i I will never be that i cannot be that you know my life is very different than that And we look at maybe the kinds of sins that we struggle with, and we say, I'm not even 0.1% of that compared to how they lived. So that should not be a source of discouragement, okay, for us. Because God gives all different abilities. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't struggle. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and work. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't increase. But at the same time, we should set realistic expectations for ourselves. God did not give them all five talents. Five talents. He gave one of them five, one of them two, one of them one. And this was not an indication that God loved differently. Right? God is the one who gives us our capacities. God is the one who gives us our capacities. Right? So if He gives me high capacity, He gives me a lot of work to do. Okay? If He gives me lower capacity, He gives me less work to do. But for me, that less work is still very hard because I have less capacity. You know, like some people, it's very easy for them to go to do something. Maybe for me, it's very difficult, right? This says another important thing about judging. When God says, do not judge. One of the reasons we cannot judge is because we cannot discern the capacity of each person, right? God only knows the capacity. You might have one person who is a very um, prominent, well-known person who, you know, stands up and gives sermons and is known all over the world. And, and, you know, everybody looks up to this person and so on. But maybe in the eyes of God, God looks at them and says, you're only using 5% of the capacity I gave you. So even though from our human eyes, it looks like that person is really like serving the Lord. But maybe in the eyes of God, he looks at a person who is a, is a no-name person who doesn't have any of that fame and maybe struggling in so many ways. But in the eyes of God, that person is actually more righteous because he or she is putting all of their effort into their life, into their spiritual life. So we cannot judge. We cannot judge because we have no idea what God has given each one. Okay? Verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who received two gained two more also. Okay? So what is, what is significant here about this? Sorry? They grew. But they didn't, did they grow the same amount? Yeah, they put full effort, right? But even with their full effort, they didn't produce the same right like both of them put in all of their effort they were able to produce what they were given but they didn't produce the same meaning the one who had two talents didn't get five talents and then right again back to what we're saying this is important because we each have been given different amounts of talents so we cannot just say apples to apples i'm going to compare me i'm going to compare it to this person right no i can't you can't do that right And it's clear here why, because each one was given different things. In real life, we don't know the number. Like there's no number. Like we're not born with like a number tattooed on our forehead that said, This is me, I'm seven talents. You're three talents. Okay? Just keep that in mind. We don't know that, right? About ourselves. We don't know how many talents, quote unquote, if there was so simple to put a number to it. So, you know, maybe if we did, it would be easier. You know, maybe if we did then we would look at everybody and say, okay, you know what, this person, you know, they've only been given this many talents, we can understand, you know. Or this person over here, yeah, they're so successful, uh, look, they've gotten 17 talents, you know. We, we obviously don't know that in real life, right? But here, this is why God is saying this is a parable of the kingdom, because he is revealing to us information that in real life we would not have. This is only information that he has. This is only what he knows. He is giving us a glimpse into the way he sees us, This is why this is so critical and important. Because God is making it known to us how he thinks in a way that we would otherwise never know. And in a way that we ourselves could never perceive. Okay? So in the eyes of God, both these servants, they put in the full effort. And they will both be rewarded, as we will see. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Okay, why do you think he did that? Like, why, why didn't he say, okay, well, I only have one talent, but I'm going to still work with it. I'm going to only get one talent back, maybe, or maybe even half a talent back, or anything back. I'm, I'm going to just put some effort to do something with it. But instead, he did nothing with it. He hid it in the ground. Why do you think he did that? He could be lazy. Actually, this is what the master, when he comes, returns from his journey, he calls this servant the wicked and lazy servant. Okay. So, so one reason that he could do this is he's just a lazy person. He he doesn't he doesn't want to do anything, right? He just wants to enjoy his life. Don't don't tell me about talents. Don't tell me about working. Don't tell me about doing anything. I just want to enjoy myself. Leave me alone, right? That's one possibility, right? What's other reasons why someone might Do something like this. Yeah. Stingy. So how is that? Okay. He doesn't want to lose it. He's afraid of losing it. Right? Like maybe we think that if I start doing something in my life that i might fail right if i start using the talents that god gave me what if i fail what if i can't accomplish or succeed in the way that i want to accomplish or succeed maybe maybe it's easier it's safer for me just to do nothing right good what else very good maybe he looks at the other servants because he was there you know imagine you are this man right and you're there and this and 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 the servant is handing out talents he's here you get five you get two you only get one like how is that going to make you feel when you only get one like maybe that's going to make you feel kind of angry right like unmotivated to work It's like, well, you you only gave me one talent. What do you expect me to do? I don't even want to put any effort to bring any more talents to you because you don't even trust me, you know? Doesn't that seem like a natural reaction that anyone might have? Or maybe, you know, in, in real life, if we see that God has blessed these other people so much, you know, look at the, look how smart these people are. Look how wealthy these people are look how attractive these people are look at these people have everything and look at me what is it why does god not give me like them right i don't i don't i don't feel motivated to do anything i just i'm angry and i'm bitter and upset and sad and you know i don't have i don't because the best that i can do is not going to even be like them the best that i can do like if i put all of my full effort i'm still not going to achieve what these people will achieve that can be kind of unmotivating, right? But, but again, we, we, one of the things about this that, that is revealed to us, okay, is that God's love for us is not based on our abilities, okay? It's not based on our abilities. And part of being a humble person is to acknowledge that whatever it is good that we do, Whatever it is that I'm able to accomplish and produce in the world is because God has given me those abilities and talents, right? God has given me. Obviously, we have to work just like this parable shows that each of these servants, if even just because they were given talents, they had to work to produce. But if God had not given them those five talents, then that person who got the five talents, he wouldn't have been able to do anything because he'd had no talents, right? The talents came from God. Even if he was the most ingenious, clever, financial person who knows everything about how to make more talents, unless he was given some talents to begin with, there would be nothing he could do, right? So that comes from God. It's a, co- it's a cooperation, right? God gives us and we work with it. So what God wants us to learn from this is that our value is not determined based on the number of talents that we have been given. And even if I do not accomplish what this person has accomplished over here that does says nothing about me and maybe we spend so much of our time worrying about accomplishment worrying about comparing myself to other people when actually it's a waste of time right because my value is not determined by how much i accomplish in heaven the first will be last and the last will be first in heaven everything is flipped upside down Right? In heaven, it's like, I don't care how much you accomplish on the earth. If you are a prideful person, if you are an arrogant person, if you are an unrepentant person, I don't care what you accomplish on the earth, you will have no status in heaven. That's what God is saying. So a spiritual person with a spiritual mind, a spiritual person who has this glimpse of what heaven is like and how heaven is different than the earth, will not be so worried and consumed about our status here on earth And how many talents we were given by the master on earth. Because our ultimate destination, our ultimate reward, our ultimate position and rank is not going to be determined by how much we were given, by what we did did with it. That that is what's going to determine our rank. That's what's going to determine if we were the first or the last. Has nothing to do with how far we get. It has to do with how hard we run. Okay? So we learn that from this. This servant maybe was so unmotivated and unhappy, okay, with this. So verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Okay. What is the significance of the fact that it's a long time? Why is it a long time? Yes. Okay, definitely, when it's a long time, it gives all three of them opportunity to decide what they're going to do with it, right? Whether it be the one with the one talent or two or five. Okay, what else? Let's let Clara give because she hasn't said. Okay, good. Right? That's like, you know, in the verse where it says that God is long-suffering with us because He wants even the wicked to come to repentance, right? Like, like why is it that God, you know, like, like why, is, why is it that God does not bring swift justice? Because God wants even those people who are enemies to be saved. So, so, here God gives plenty of time so that each one can decide for themselves how they will use the talents that they've been given. Okay? And, um... The fact also that the coming of the Master is unplanned, okay? It's unplanned. Because if you have something that is a long, long time, then we get used to the fact that things are the way that they are. You know, all of us obviously were born into the world, and we haven't known any life other than the life in the world, right? Like, this is, this is the only life. This is the only life we know about, that we that we've experienced, is the life here in the world. So... Unless we always remind ourselves that this is not the real life, that there is another life, okay, that is a far more real life and longer lasting life, then we will be tempted to just believe that the current status that we're in is the permanent status, like this is it. The rules of the world are the rules, right? Uh, Making money, having this, having that, like the way we act, the way we think, all governed by the rules of the world because we believe that the world will last forever and we believe that our lives will last forever. And even though our brain knows that that's not the case, but it's so easy to live like that because this is what we're used to. We have not experienced any other kind of life. This sounds really interesting, you know, but I haven't seen it. You know, we we live in a world where people don't believe things that they haven't seen, right? So when we read this, it's like, that's why we have to have faith and believe. It's like, do I believe that this is actually the way the reality is? Or do I believe reality is what I see around me? Because they're not the same, right? The principles of heaven that God is, is, is exposing here, that's revealing to us here, is not the principles of the world. So I have to say, what, which principles do I believe, and which principles do I apply, because which is more important to me? To be successful in the world, or to be successful in heaven? Okay? <clears> okay. <throat> So the master will come at an unknown time. And it will be a sufficient time for each person to, to have an opportunity to decide how they're going to live. And he will come suddenly. Right? Suddenly why? Because if I knew that the end of the world was a, in a week, we would all confess. We would all, you know, spend a whole week praying. We would all, you know, ask for forgiveness from everyone we've ever hurt. We, w- we would all live a pure life for this week. Okay? But... If I have no idea when it is, right, maybe my thoughts, maybe my focus, maybe my priorities are different, okay? So he gives everybody a time, and he doesn't tell them when they're going to return. Okay, so then he says, So he who had received five talents, okay, uh, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Okay? So what do we see here? First, when the master saw that this servant produced five talents, in addition addition to the five he already had, he called him good and faithful. That he is a good and faithful servant. He is good. Because what he did was good. And he was faithful because he believed... Okay? He believed that the master would return. He believed that he would be called to account for what he did with those talents. Because notice that he, 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 he gave the five talents and then he didn't spend them on himself. Right? This is another mark of the belief that nothing that we have belongs to us. You know, if I believe that the things I have belong to me, then I am free to spend them as I wish and I will burn through it and do with it whatever I wish. Like the prodigal son who believed that everything he had belonged to him. I'm going to spend it however I want to spend it right? because it's mine. OK, the fact that this servant who got the five talents chose to keep the original five, invest it, get five more, and then now he has ten. And then now when the master comes and he says, here is your ten talents. Well, did you spend any of this on yourself? Did you get anything for yourself with this? This is a lot of money, this ten talents. And you just kept it believing that one day the master will return and you being a faithful servant will deliver it back to him in its, in its fullness. Right? And you didn't skim anything off the top of it. You gave it completely back to him again. You know, when we ask ourselves, this question is, do we do that? Like, what I receive from God, I multiply it, and then I give it 100% back to him again? Without seeking any benefit for myself about it? Like, that's a high standard. This is a very high standard, okay, that he is living by here. Um, The reward, okay, the reward. He says, you are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So what does this mean when it says he will be made ruler over many things? What does that mean? Yes, so from a spiritual sense, yes, he's saying his reward in heaven will be great and, and, and proportional to what he has achieved. Okay? Okay. So what does that mean in the world? You, you will have more. Like, this is, this is a, a general principle, right? Like, my boss comes to me, gives me project after project to work on. If I do a good job, maybe I get promoted, and I have more. I do, God, do a good job again, I get promoted, right? And being promoted means you get more work, but you don't get paid so much more, right? That's in the world, Okay. But in heaven, you are being promoted in heaven, right? The, the, what we receive in heaven, what God, God rewards us with is great, okay? Enter into the joy of your Lord. The reward is enter into the joy of your Lord. The, the other servant, the one who had two talents, it was exact, exactly the same, right? He also had received two talents, came and said... Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Again, he is saying what? You put in your full effort. You obtained all that you could. Everything that you could have done with those two talents, you did it. So enter into the joy of your Lord. You will be rewarded with many things. Okay? Um, I think we can understand that. Okay, now let's go um, to the next one. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. There's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack of this verse. Right? He says what? He came to the to the master. Okay? He said, "Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed." What is he saying? What does that mean? He takes from what's not his. How has, he done, how has the master done that here? Has the master taken of what was not his? Well, how much did he give? How much, how much did the master give them? To one he gave five. To another he gave two. To another he gave one. So we can all agree that that was his. Okay. So the servant who had five he produced another five, okay? Five that the master did not have at the beginning, right? So whose does that belong to? Well, this servant believes it belongs to the servant because that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown, meaning you were away for however long and you gave us this to work with it. We worked so hard, or maybe not him, but the others, they worked so hard, right? And we produced all of this. And now that you come back, you're not even wanting to give it to us. You're not letting us keep it for ourselves. You have reaped where you have not sown. You did not work with your hands to produce those five talents and those two talents. And now you're coming and asking them back. Okay, that's what he's accusing the master of. What do you think about that? Exactly, right? Like the verse we said at the beginning, when it says, what is it that you have that you have not received? Right? Here again, you see a difference between the way of the world and the way of heaven because in the world obviously yes sir mhm yeah it's it's the same concept right like like essentially we own nothing of ourselves right in the world whenever you have someone who does a job you pay them a wage right like if i work in a company and my work creates money for the company the company gets more money but what do i get well i get a salary so i get a wage okay and with that wage the the, the, that's what that's what rightfully belongs to me for the work that i've done And the company benefits from the work that I've done and however much money they make from it, that's what they make, okay? So here though, again, this is not trying to describe the principles of the world. I'm not trying to say that that model is a wrong one. Actually, obviously, we have to work and we have to make money to live. But that's not the model of heaven because the the, the idea here is that God gave us 100% of everything. God gave us the five talents. God gave us the ability. God gave us everything. So whatever it is that we produce actually goes back to Him, right? Because the reward that we get is not the five talents. That's not the reward. The five talents or the ten talents or the however many talents, that is not the reward. What is the reward? The reward was, and He said it, okay? He said what? Let me read it for you. He said what? Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. This is a far greater reward than the reward of the five talents. He is giving him, and he says, let me make you ruler over something more. Right? This reward that God gives is a heavenly reward. It's not an earthly reward. It's not, it's not to say that when we work hard, we might not receive an earthly reward, but it's not guaranteed, right? The heavenly reward is guaranteed. The heavenly reward is greater than the earthly reward. We work our entire life, in a spiritual sense, to receive the heavenly reward. Abraham, when he believed, okay, the covenant that God made with him, he never saw the covenant happen in his life, right? He never saw it happen. He, he, he was promised that he would be the father of many nations, but he ended up dying before that happened, okay? But he believed that God would bring this to him in his lineage, right? This is why we call Abraham one of the heroes of faith that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, right? The, the faith of the believer is to believe that any spiritual work that we do will be rewarded with the heavenly reward. There. And it tells us something again about his motivation. This servant, the only thing he cares about is to keep it for himself. Okay? Because he says, look, you're, you're coming and taking everything that I'm producing, so why should I work for you? You know, you're, you're reaping what you have not sown. And, and, and so that's very right, right? Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. You have something to say? Okay. Um, oh. I remember. Okay. Look in the in the end of uh, in, or in verse twenty five. He says, And I was afraid. Why is he afraid? Well he's afraid because the master has finally returned, probably a day that he has been dreading all along, right? And he came back and he's gonna ask for what have you done with my talents, and I haven't done anything with them, so he's afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Okay. What is another reason for his fear? Why would the why would this servant be afraid? Like he's giving a reason why. He didn't do anything with the talent. Why would he be afraid here? Afraid of losing it. Afraid of failure. Right? What if I try my best to make money with the talent and I lose it instead and I didn't make anything with it? Right? What if the talents that God has given me, um, I try to use them and I'm embarrassed or it's a failure to me, right? Maybe that's a reason why we don't use the talents or like what Vera was saying, maybe the talent is a burden to me. What if God gave me the talent to serve in a certain capacity and that service is a difficult service? It's a a difficult service. It's a a service that requires a lot of time, a lot of energy, not a lot of reward, not a lot of prestige, right? What if that is the service God has called me for, right? And instead of me being thankful for giving the opportunity to serve the Lord, instead maybe I grumble about it. Also, look at the disdain that he had. He said, what, look, there you have what is yours in the ground. Like he didn't even dig it up from the ground and to present it to the master and says, well, I only have the one talent. He told him, go dig it up yourself. Like, like very disrespectful in the way that he is treating the master. He, he, he did not acknowledge at all that everything the master was doing for him was good. It was out of the goodness of the master that he chose to share what was his own, right? To give us of himself. It was out of the goodness of God that he chose to share with us his image. That he chose to make us in his image. To give us a mind and a breath. And senses to be able to perceive to be able to live to have the ability to have eternal life this is the goodness of God right and so even if the, the events of my life do not turn out the way that I would have just wanted them to be we still should not grumble against God as though God has taken something from us no actually God has given us everything Even when things do not happen the way we want them to be, God is still giving us our life. He's given us everything. Yes. sure. I mean, I would say, especially when it comes to, uh, talents and skills that are more invisible, things that are, people aren't necessarily going to praise us because we've done them, um, or, or, or even know that we have done them. And it goes to, are we seeking our praise from God or from man? Right? Like, is it, is it the fact that I'm grumbling maybe because I wish that God had given me a talent where I would receive praise from man, you know? Um, Because I really care about the praise from man more than the praise of God. Like Simon the sorcerer, right? Simon the sorcerer, he wanted the gift of the laying of hands. Well, why do you want that? Well, because he was famous. He was a magician. And that's what he was used to. And he wanted to have that. That was the reason why he wanted that. Not for martyrdom, you know, not for apostleship and service and and, and endless, you know, traveling around the world and preaching and whatnot. No, he just cared about what he could get for himself. You know? Okay. So in verse 26, the master is now responding to what the servant that received the one talent is accusing the master of. Okay. He said, But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So what does that mean? Is the master acknowledging that what the servant accused him of was true? When he says what? You knew, right? You, you, you knew, uh, in verse 26, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. What, why is, what does that mean? It is his money. But is he agreeing with this accusation? That he reaps where he has where he not sown? I mean, <laughs> that's the only other option. Uh, uh, I mean, the idea of reaping where you have not sown is not like a good quality, right? Like, at least, like you know, everybody reaps and sows. Okay? The whole purpose here is that is the even though for in a literal sense, in the sense that the master was not the one who physically worked to bring about the money, but it still was his he still it still belonged to him. Who was it that this person was? He was a, he was a servant, right Who are these three people? What is their status in the house of the master? They are servants they are not entitled to profit that 's their role, his servant they are not other landowners, they are not, he, he made no deal with them, you know, like, you know, in the, in the parable of the um, uh, workers of the 11th hour in the vineyard, in that parable, it shows that the, the landowner made a, an agreement with a certain, for a certain wage for these workers, he, these are not workers, these are not like independent contractors, okay, that deserve a wage, these are servants, they are in his house. He actually is the one, the master, is the one taking care of these servants. He is the one feeding them. He is the one giving them a place to live. Right? And in return, they serve his house and they do what he says. Right? So, it is, so here when he says, um, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, he's not like acknowledging that what the servant is saying is true. He's saying, even if this is what you believe about me, Even if you believe that I'm an unjust man and that I reap where I do not sow, you should have at least, okay, you should have at least deposited by money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Okay, so what is putting the money in the bank and receiving the interest, what does that represent? Because he's saying... Even if you're afraid of like wheeling and dealing with my with my talent and investing it and, and working hard with it and all that, okay, you could have at least done this. So so the master here's making a distinction between the kind of work that the other two servants did and the work of just put it in the bank and get interest. What is what is that put it in the bank and get interest represent? Do the minimum. Right? Do the minimum. Even the minimum. Right? It's better than nothing. You know, sometimes we, people, like, maybe have a certain habitual sin that they commit. And it's a sin that happens again and again and again. And it's a sin that they confess again and again and again. And at some point, after committing that sin enough times, maybe you begin to lose hope that you will ever overcome this sin. And so when the temptation comes upon me for this sin, there's this voice in my head that says, what's the point of even trying to to, to stop it one time? What's the point of even delaying it one time? Because in the end, I know that it's going to eventually overcome me. Okay? Well, maybe the minimum that I can do in a situation like this, if I cannot actually overcome the sin, maybe the minimum is to just prevent it one time. Prevent it in, 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 in whichever way that I can. Even if in the end... It's going to happen, okay. But any effort that I put toward holiness, toward fighting and struggling against sin, God does not forget it. God does not forget any effort that I put, any service that I put, any minimum thing that I do. I'm not trying to say that the minimum is ideal, but but here the master is saying, well, why didn't you at least try? Why didn't you at least make an effort? Maybe the reason that that God did not give the servant more than the one talent is because he knew that he could not produce what is it that the others had had, had received. Imagine that this servant had received the five talents. You know? His mentality now would have been, I earned all this money and now you're going to take it away from me? Like the the problem was like a deep-seated, rooted problem inside of him. So the servant knowing this did not entrust him with so much as the others. But maybe do the minimum. Maybe try, try. Try any, make any effort whatsoever, right, in order to overcome. Maybe that would have been sufficient to satisfy the master. So then what does he say in verse, uh, in verse 28? So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, those who use the talents, they will be given more and rewarded. Okay? Those who do not even use the talents that God gives them, even what they have will be taken away from them. Because again, why does God give us the talents? It's not a reflection of, he lo- of His love. It's not because He loves this person more than this person, that He gives this person more talents. It's because He wants us to work. Because He wants us to do, do something with them. I give you this talent so you can work with it. So you can benefit other people with it. So you can serve the Lord with it. Not so you can just use it on yourself. Not so you just stay idle, doing nothing. Okay? This is why it's very important for us to discover what our talents are right? To discover and understand our strengths. What is it that God wants me to do? And when I discover my strength, not to just to remain idle, not to just to keep it hidden away. Yes, maybe it requires a lot of hard work to perfect my strength, to enhance it, to make it more valuable. And that's work that I should put into it so that I can use it to serve God better, okay? Um, this last part is the scariest part and actually one of the most scary verses in the entire bible this is one of those verses that is not comfortable to read it cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth which seems like a very um a very harsh thing to say a very harsh thing to do with this servant and we ask you know, God, aren't you compassionate and aren't you merciful and aren't you patient? Why in the end, once you have returned and you see this servant in this way, why is it that you did not give him a second chance? Okay, well, the answer is that if you look at it again as a parable of the kingdom about us, God is giving us chances all the time, right? There is always chances. This class today is a chance, right? Like, we, we, are, we are given chances by God every second of every day that we're alive. Because there is nothing that is preventing us from trying harder, from trying more. This is not intended to put fear into us to be like, okay, you know what, I'm afraid that this is what's going to happen to me. This is saying what? That we should all live attentively. You know, we should all live understanding. God is not a harsh God. God will reward even the smallest thing. But to those as this man who refuse him, who reject him, who blaspheme him, who, who are, not, are not willing to accept any good from him, right? This is the outcome. And God willing, that's not us. Okay? God willing, this is not us. God willing, we are that even though we are not perfection by no means, But at least that we can try to do the minimum, at least that we can try to work with something that we have, that we've been given, and ask and pray that through the grace of God He grant us greater zeal and greater fervor and greater accomplishment and greater success through the working of His Spirit. Right? This is this is what we pray, okay? Because in the end, salvation is not by works, okay? Salvation is not by works. Salvation is by the grace of God, okay? But what does that mean? It means that. I have to at least be a repentant person, right? I have to at least be a person who repents of my sin, who takes seriously the concept of sin, right? That, that we understand that sin is a disobedience of God and that we believe that God is so, so merciful and loving and compassionate and forgiving to those who come to Him asking for His forgiveness. But this requires that we humble ourselves It requires that I ask the Lord to have mercy on me and that I receive from Him the gift, not the right of forgiveness. The gift of forgiveness. It is not my right. I'm not entitled to forgiveness. Right? God gave me this gift of forgiveness as a free gift to me when He sees that I am truly repentant. So may God grant us a desire to serve the Lord and that when we fail, because we will never be perfect and we will always struggle in this, when we fail in any way, then we ask God to forgive us and that we feel safe and, 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 and assured of God's love and mercy to us so that we don't have to worry about being the servant who is being thrown out in the outer darkness, okay? But instead, we can think, how is it that I can improve my service? How is it that I can improve my obedience? How is it that I can work more in order to please the Lord? Do we have any questions? Uh... Yes. You only get one at a time. Definitely. That's why like when we say in the judgment and the second coming, we are not going to speak, right? God is going to speak and he's going to declare to us the truth. And there is no way for me to defend myself because God already knows better than I know, you know? So, so he is simply going to tell us what the judgment is, not giving us an opportunity to defend, not giving us an opportunity to explain. Um, definitely, 100%. I I think the bare minimum maybe would be different from person to person because each of us has a proclivity to something, you know? Like each of us has something that it's easier for us to do than other things. So if for me, uh, the thing that it's easier for me to do is to give, then maybe yes, for me, the bare minimum is I can try to give a little bit more, you know? Or or give at all. If another person, the bare minimum is they're very maybe uh, scholarly, they like to read, they like to study, maybe that person can you know, do some research about something or write something about God at the church or provide it to people. If somebody is a very social person, then for them, maybe the bare minimum is they could at least try to like evangelize and to bring people to God, you know. So it's like everybody like has some talent, some, well, even if we're not using it, you know, very much, there is something in there. And that if I ask myself, what is the easiest thing that I could do more than what I'm doing now, maybe that answer would be different from person to person. But if there's an answer, you know, and, and, and that's the, the easiest, the, the, the quickest way to start to get more involved and like focusing on my spiritual life. I, I can't say that I know the answer to that question because that would really re- require kind of going into the mind of God and, and understanding like why He's deciding. But I mean, the way I think of it is like, you know, why is one person born to be short and another person born to be tall? Like, why do some people have one colored eyes versus the other? Why do some people have one colored hair than the other? Like, God is, God is very creative, you know. And if you look at, if you look at everything in the universe. You know, when you consider that almost the entirety of the universe, which we will never even be able to visit, is full of so much stuff that we can never see, and yet it's there and it's beautiful, right? Or you think about, like, God knows what is necessary for the body of Christ, right? And He knows that there are certain people that need to be preachers, and there are certain people that need to be evangelists, and there are certain people that need to be administrators, and there are certain people that need to be encouragers, and there are certain people that need to be all these things, right? So God requires that or or, or chooses that we all have different gifts how does he choose a specific gift for one person versus i I don't i don't know Uh, yes I would say yes and no to that. The yes is definitely we start small and we grow. The no is we historically as the Coptic Orthodox Church, and believe me, like I teach in the like several seminaries about evangelism specifically, and every time we talk about evangelism, and one of the projects that we have in the class is asking people to go and evangelize the five people and to record their experience, and how it went, okay, inevitably, people will be like, well, why don't we just, instead of doing that, why don't we just, you know, research about evangelism? Well, instead of that, why don't we uh, just learn a lot about God? Instead of that, why don't we, like, create a Bible study in the church? Well, instead of that, why don't we just pray more? and, And exactly what you said, well, God is preparing us. So what I say to people is, we have been preparing for evangelism for 2,000 years right like it has been a process of preparation for us the church as a whole because in egypt we we didn't have a chance to evangelize right but we have a chance to do it here right we have the opportunity to do it it's not illegal to do it we're not going to get killed if we do it right and we already have so much like the fullness of the faith and understanding of the faith in order to go out and to just, because, you know, we're not going to go out and be like St. Paul preaching like a sermon, you know, we're just going to, little things, you know, to attract people, make it aware that we are Christians, that we're Orthodox Christians, what does that mean, bringing people to God, it doesn't require so much preparation as we might imagine, and a lot of times we say that because we don't know how to do it, or we're worried, or we're afraid they might ask us questions that we don't know the answers to, or, or whatever, but I will say in my opinion, we have prepared for a very long time the amount of stuff that a person who simply has attended Sunday school growing up, that alone is far more knowledge than will ever come up in any conversation, in any evangelism conversation. Far more. This is not the kind of stuff that people aren't going to be like, so tell me about the ecumenical councils. Huh? How many people? (laughs) like they don't, they don't ask, like, like, that kind of stuff in our mind, the understanding, the knowledge and stuff, like, to us, we understand why that's important. And we know that there's a lot we don't know. But for people that are not in the church, they're not anywhere at that level where they're going to, like, you know, they're, they're going to start probing into things that's beyond our understanding and knowledge, usually. So I would say the concept of starting small and building, 100%. But I wouldn't apply that to evangelism so much. Yeah. Yeah, we we say that all the time. We love to say that because that makes us feel good. <laughs> I mean, there's so small like number. The number one thing is learning how to have good relationships with people who are not orthodox because until you have a relationship and it doesn't have to be a very deep relationship some relationship with someone who is not orthodox right so that I can have a uh, like a like a reason to talk to you about something like it's not that I'm just going to go on the street and be like hey you know this is who I am no that's that's not doesn't work but if i already have colleagues classmates friends from outside of church that I already can talk to about a lot of things and I already have conversations with them at lunch and I already maybe see them outside of work and school and stuff, then I just shouldn't be afraid to say things. Like, for instance, uh, even if you're not going to invite someone to something, the church, but at least we're not afraid to talk about it ourselves. Like, oh, I attended a Bible study last week and it was so good and this is what we talked about. I didn't even ask that person to go to the Bible study. I'm just speaking about myself. And if you think about it, other people all the time talk about themselves like that you know we tend to be very closed off when it comes to that like we don't it's like we don't want to talk about our faith because we're weirdos you know like no we shouldn't think that way about ourselves like we are human beings we believe that this is the path of salvation and that we want to share that path of salvation with the world because we we care about people right so being like so having relationships to not being afraid to discuss our own faith not even talking about invitation not being afraid to discuss our own faith and then through that you might find that certain people are more uh, interested uh like i'll give you an example like when i was working there was a a man that i worked with um and and it's the conversation happened when the boy scouts of america uh decided that they were going to allow like homosexuals to join okay uh, so somehow the conversation came up and I didn't even know what this person believed or anything. Somehow the conversation came up about this and I realized that, you know, this person, he was a believer and he had certain like beliefs about you know right and wrong and morality based on the Bible. And so it became like a, a way for me to also talk about what I believed. And then we started talking about our churches and then, you know, like, like it kept going on and on from there. So you can get a sense from someone like if I tell someone that I'm going to a Bible study or if I tell make some comment about something that I believe, you can tell when other people are like engaged with that and interested in that or the opposite. They're turned off by that and you just, they don't want to talk about that at all. And so then you can begin to see like, who is it that I can begin to talk more about things? Especially if they're going through like a difficult situation in their life, then you can say, You know, whenever I go through a difficult thing in my life, I always read this verse from the Bible and it makes me feel so much better and it reminds me of God's mercy. See how they respond. If they respond positively, then you have a doorway to be able to go further. If they respond negatively, you don't have to talk to them about it again. So there's small things like that where you can begin to probe and get a sense of who would be open to talking. And if it eventually gets to the point where we invite them to our church, where, you know, something, we pray with them, whatever it might be, great. But if it doesn't, it's okay, you know. It's just a matter of, of allowing ourselves to go through that process and just letting things happen as they happen. Sure. Exactly. You know, I think about like Islam for instance, right? Islam they will they will stop in the middle of an airport and pull out a rug and sit on the rug on the ground and start doing their prayers and prostrating on the ground in the middle of an airport and they're not ashamed or embarrassed at all by what they're doing, you know? How many of us would feel like we could just go in the middle of an airport and pull out the abaya and just start praying like this in the middle of a crowd of people? Maybe that would make us uncomfortable. But there's a whole other set of people that don't feel uncomfortable by doing even more than that. So we shouldn't be, like, ashamed of what we believe. Or again, like I said before, we shouldn't believe that we're weirdos, right? Because sometimes that's really what we think about ourselves. We, like, we want to blend in with everybody. We feel like we're kind of out of place. We don't want people to know what we do. Even the Christian friends that we have, it's like, wait, we go to church for four hours? You know, like, like there's certain things we just kind of want to hide it, not mention it, we shouldn't be like like embarrassed to, to say, no, this is why we do what we do. We believe this is right. And so we do it. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Okay? Any other comments? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day and for this opportunity to stand here before you, O Lord, and to study your word. Grant us, O Lord, a depth of understanding whenever we read your word, not only to absorb it and understand it with our minds, but to have it, O Lord, to seep into our beings and to live it, O Lord, in our daily lives. Help us to see, O God, how many talents and how many gifts and how many things that you have given us so that we could enjoy them and we can be thankful for them and that we can benefit from them and we can benefit those who are around us with the gifts you have given. Grant us, O Lord, that we are always seeing you as a kind and giving father who wants to give us the best things. Teach us, O God, how to work with the things you have given us and to be thankful for them. Teach us, O God, how not to grumble against you when we do not receive the things that we would like. Teach us, O God, to be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. Grant us your peace and teach us, O Lord, to love you as you love us and to know you as you know us and to be strengthened, O Lord, by your presence in our daily life. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray, thankfully, our Father who art in heaven